ye kids to go ye. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles. And if you need an outline, wave your hand there and Brother Brett get you one. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is our ninth week in the Sermon on the Mount. And we are moving at a, uh, a very fast pace compared to other times that uh, uh, we have gone through the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a very different outline um, and uh, just to uh, review for a few seconds, we have the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, the, the beginning, the preface, what we would call or what has been called the Beatitudes or the less levels of blessing. And, and uh, as uh, I was working on this time, we... The last time we actually went through the entire Sermon on the Mount, it took about 18 months uh, to go through and tried to go through very detailed. And this time I, I want us to just take a little different approach. And as I was contemplating, oftentimes uh, uh, as uh, uh, when I was learning to prepare sermons, where uh, it is one of the best ways to do that is you... Bring forth a central idea. You tell the people what you're going to say. Then you explain what you're going to say. And then you sum up what you've said. You uh, repeat yourself a lot. And the reason why is because none of us get anything the first time through. Most of us need to hear it more than, than once. And I began to think about the outline of the Sermon on the Mount and and. All of a sudden, it began to dawn on me that these Beatitudes, this is really what Jesus did here. He gave those Beatitudes. That was a summary of the sermon. And then, as we go through the sermon, last week we spent time on blessed are the poor in spirit. And uh, Jesus used the Old Testament law to illustrate that point. And uh, he touched on the fact that the the issue of anger uh, is the same as the issue of murder. When we do not control ourselves, when it says angry with his brother without a cause, it is guilty as the same. It says the Old Testament law said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but if you lust in your heart, the Bible says, you've already done it. Now, the whole issue is, Every one of us fail. Now, Jesus only took two of the Ten Commandments. He's going to deal with several others uh, as we go through here. But we find ourselves miserably falling short. That's what poor in spirit is. It's not, we cannot attain to the righteousness that God wants us to. And then mourning. I mean, oftentimes we think of mourning um, when something is done wrong, we, uh, even as parents, a lot of times we'll look at our children. Do you feel bad about that? Well, that's not mourning. The biblical definition with mourning, you, no one has to tell you to mourn. It is a natural response. Jacob said, I am going to go down to the grave mourning for my son Joseph. How many of you remember that? He, he said that, that that is just uh, 
I'm never going to be the same. I'm never going to give up my sorrow for my son that was killed. And the whole truth of the matter is, Joseph was not killed. He was still alive. In fact, when Jacob would go to meet him uh, some uh, years later, Joseph would be second in command only to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. You see... Jesus takes these verses that are often just held in in their own. We look at verse 29, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is more profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And we talked about the hyperbole or the exaggeration that Jesus was using there to try to prove the point. But here's the thing. Mourning is something that consumes your entire spirit, your person. And if we're not going to get serious about fighting with sin in our lives, if we're not going to mourn, if we're not going to let this thing consume us to the level that is described here, and we understand sin does not come from your right eye or your left eye or your right hand or your left hand or your right foot or your left foot. Sin comes from a wicked heart. We're tempted when we're drawn away what? of our own lust and enticed. But if we want to fight against sin, we're going to have to get serious. That's what mourning is. It's illustrated in those verses. And now we're going to come to probably the most misunderstood word in the Bible, I would think pretty close, and that is the word meekness. Most of the time when we hear the word meek, we think what? Weak. Meek equals weak, right? No. And we've tried to illustrate that point by the fact that who is the meekest man in the Bible? Moses. Was Moses very weak when he stuck his finger in Pharaoh's face and said, let my people go? Uh, Was Moses meek when he said... If the sons of Dathan and Abiram and, and their families die a normal death, God hath not sent me, and the earth opened up and swallowed them up alive. That's pretty intense, isn't it? You see, meekness is not weakness. And what I want us to do is I want us to go through here, and, and there are going to be several different points of life And, of course, we're not going to be able to deal with every verse in the Bible that talks about divorce and every point. But uh, I've dealt with people over the years that said, listen, uh, uh, there is no biblical reason for divorce. And uh, then other people have said, well, the Bible, when it talks about the husband of one wife, it means one at a time. You can have as many as you want as long as you're not married to more than one at the same time. And these are not new arguments. In Jesus' day, 
the Pharisees were divided into two divisions, and, and we actually have copies of some of their writings and arguments, and you can study all of those things if you so desire. But let's look at the text here, and this is where we're going to pick up tonight. And I think that we're going to see meekness illustrated here. It hath been said, verse 31, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. And so let's read what the Bible says. Put your paper or bulletin or your finger there, and let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Because this is the passage that Jesus is referring to. And by the way, this is the verses that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were all arguing about. Verse 20, chapter 24, the book of Deuteronomy, verse 1. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him... Write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled for the Lord." For that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now that is the main part of the law that talks about divorce. It says that, and they would argue, it says here that if she find no favor in his eyes, and there were actually scribes and, and, and lawyers of the uh, Jewish traditions there that had written, if, if uh, the wife burned the meal, you could actually divorce your wife because she burned uh, the food. And, and all of these different trivial things. Now, is that anything new or shocking to anybody? New York is actually one of the most difficult states in the Union to, to obtain a divorce. They have more regulations. It, it is almost, uh, up until like two or three years ago, it was very, very difficult and very expensive to get a legal divorce in New York State. So what did people do? Well, plane tickets to Reno is cheap. And uh, Reno, Nevada has the most lax divorce laws in the country. Basically, all you do is one of the parties walks into a justice of the peace and says, I want a divorcement. You pay the fee, sign your name, and you have a legal divorce. And, and so that's what people in New York were doing. And uh, why do people divorce? All oh, because they want something better, because they want to marry someone else, uh, because they're tired of... What they're putting, you don't know what my wife or my husband put me through. I will tell you after uh, just uh, from what I know of talking to people as being a pastor for over 25 years now, 
I do not believe in innocent parties when it comes to divorce. No one is wrong about everything. Sorry. Uh, there, there are problems. Now, what Jesus is saying here is, we are no longer under the law of God. What is meekness? Could I challenge you today, the, the, those who are supposed to know these things, say, the number one reason for divorce is money problems. Number two is moral problems. I, I want to challenge you, number one reason for divorce is selfishness. Anybody want to argue that point? Hello? Uh, we're not trying to be unpleasant tonight, but what we're trying to do is get what Jesus was talking about here. The number one reason for divorce is selfishness. Selfishness is the opposite of meekness. It's going to be illustrated through the rest of these things. Wanting my own way is the absolute antithesis of what meekness is. And so as Jesus is trying to help us understand the blessings of being meek, it's not weakness, it's not letting someone just walk all over you. That is not it at all. Meekness, a working definition, is letting God have His way in your life. Amen? Operating under the authority and the direction. Now, you're not going to find that definition of meekness in, in a textbook anywhere, but that is the biblical definition. And by the way, let me ask you a question here. If we have a man that is saved and a woman that is saved and they are married to each other and they're both trying to serve God, is there any reason whatsoever that they should be seeking a divorce? No biblical ones, let me tell you. Here's how Jesus put it. He said, Moses gave that writing for the hardness of your hearts. You know what hard heart is? It's another word for selfish heart. That's why I say that. It's another word for wanting what you want and not what others want. What meekness is, is operating under the authority and at the direction. Jesus did make an exception here. He said, if you get divorced for any other reason than for fornication. Now, fornication is the Bible word talking about immoral behavior. If you are married and your spouse breaks those marriage vows, there is a biblical reason for divorce. Does that mean that you have to read the book of Isaiah? I mean, Hosea. What did God say to Israel? It said that, You've been wicked. You've committed spiritual adultery with many other gods. And I say, come back. That doesn't mean that it always has to work out. Sometimes we deal with people who are just not going to do right. The Bible says you're not under an obligation there. 
But that's the only reason. You see, divorce is never a pathway to a better life. And if you want to study this out, you can study the statistics. Uh, It says, if you are in a bad marriage right now, a marriage that you are not happy in, your, your spouse is not happy in, and by the way, do we need to explain that it's one man and one woman and nothing else, uh, if, if you want to argue about that, I'm sorry, this is not your church. Because we don't argue about those things here. God doesn't argue about those things. You can play all the games you want, but you do not have the right to rewrite history. And you don't have the right to dictate to God. He's the one that developed marriage. Man, one man, one woman, one life. That's what marriage is supposed to be. Read Ephesians chapter 5. It is a picture of Christ's love for His church. But what happens inside of marriage? I want. She wants. How do we solve that problem? Meekness. If I surrender to God and my wife surrenders to God, guess what? It's God that gives us both direction and the marriage works. If you're in an unhappy marriage, all those who know about these things and study these things say that you have a 99% chance five years from now of still being in an unhappy marriage. Because marriage does not heal itself. Marriage does not solve problems. In fact, it magnifies problems. But... Here is the rest of the research. You will be far happier five years down the road in your unhappy marriage than you would be if you get divorced and try to start again. This is not Bible research. This is just secular research. You you can't improve on what Jesus said here. Using divorce to get your own way is not going to give you your own way. You see, that's what meekness isn't. Meekness is not trying to get your own way. The only thing that makes a real marriage work is when the husband and the wife both agree... To surrender their will to God. That's what makes a happy marriage. And in September of this year, Lord willing, my wife and I will celebrate 30 years. So I'm not speaking from unexperience or inexperience. Uh, I, I will tell you that, uh, that it is easy to start wanting my own way. It is easy to get weary with another human being. But do you know what meekness does? Meekness submits to God's direction for marriage. And meekness makes a marriage what it ought to be. You see, the main point that Jesus is trying to bring out here is not the issues of marriage and divorce. The Apostle Paul deals with that much more thoroughly in the books of Corinthians 
And Jesus actually deals with it much more thoroughly in other passages of the Scripture. The point he is trying to bring out here is, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that don't try to manipulate other people's lives to give them what they want. How many of you have ever met somebody like that? That's not a very pleasant place to be now, is it? And there are many other passages that I could go to, and I really believe in Luke chapter 17, where Jesus goes through and says, If a man hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children, and the words are what they are. Jesus uses the word for hate there. But I think and I believe the clarity comes when we put the personal pronoun in there. You see, I did not marry my wife so she would be my slave and do what I want. That's not marriage. That's not meekness, by the way. But wife, if you want to be a blessing and be the queen of the castle... Do some nice things for your husband and you will find out that he will treat you so much better. Husband, if you will just simply stop wanting your own way. And by the way, it's not her way or his way. Meekness is God's way. People often ask, why, why do you homeschool your children? Uh, my first answer is, homeschooling is not the easy way out. It's the hard way out. You're just getting started. Carolina's got one registered homeschooler. We, it, it is amazing. I'm just thinking about this as we go through. When Jason finishes the second grade, I think he's in the second grade now. Somebody correct me. First grade. No. Second grade. Yeah, I was right. Okay. When Jason finishes the second grade, we have nobody left to do the second grade. My wife's been through the second grade material 12 times now. She can almost teach it by memory. No. Each one is different. You know why? Because each one is a human being. Kids do not need an education near as much as they need parents. By the way, isn't that what a marriage is about? Not wanting your way, but desiring God's way. Can you raise kids that will serve God, send them to public school? I believe that you can, but I believe it's a whole lot easier to just keep them at home and not have to unteach all of the garbage that you teach. And when they're exposed to things that you have no control over, you can't unexpose your kids. That's, that's just the realities of public education. Why do I bring that up? Because it's part of the marriage 
You see, when you agree to marriage, I've met people say, well, I'm agreeing to get married, but we're not going to have any kids for about 10, 15 years until we get everything all settled out. Well, just plan on not having any kids, but let me tell you, that kind of selfishness will destroy marriage. You have to trust God with those things. And if He chooses not to give you any, you have to trust God with that. If He chooses to give you a whole dozen, well, you have to trust God with that too. But usually it'll be somewhere in between. And um, yet here's what we're talking about here. Is God is saying, listen, but I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife saving for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. And the whole principle that Jesus is talking about here is the modern principle of our day and time. I'm tired of this person, so I'm going to divorce them and find somebody that I'm going to be more compatible with. Uh, Let me tell you something. That person that is so terrible and so this and so that, read, read what Paul says. If you're married to an unsaved person and they're willing to live with you, you stay married. You see, we, we live in a world where there is no commitment and there's no follow-through. Where, where does that commitment come from? If you think that your love for that person and their love for you is all that you need, Let me promise you, that doesn't work. You've got to love God, and they have to love God, and both of you have to love God together. And by the way, that is meekness. And the blessings come when I surrender my will to God, and my wife surrenders her will to God, and then we find out that We're both serving the same God. You see, there's some people that will surrender their will to God, but it's not the same God. And so you have no compatibility at all. I can't tell you how many people come across over the years. Well, I I know that this, this man is not a believer in God as I am, but we're going to make things work. Okay. But I've got to be the mean, nasty, crabby old preacher and tell you that what you're doing is 100% against the Bible and you have no business dating someone of another faith. And by the way, you have no business demanding that someone change what they believe about God so they can spend time with you or vice versa. How, how terrible is that? I'll tell you, that's why marriages break up 10, 15, even 20 years in, is because they're not built on a foundation of both faith in God and surrender to God's will. And then things are going to blow apart down the road. You see, if you're going to be meek, you must choose the path of meekness, period. And that is a surrender to God's will all the way. 
And your choices often are going to bring repercussions in other people's lives. Here's what Jesus said. If you divorce for any reason other than a physical breach of the marriage contract, an immorality, an immoral situation there, you are putting that person under the judgment of God. And we have people today that, for, for lack of a better term, marriage is no longer a sacred thing in our society today. People will, oh, well, we want to make sure that we're ready. We're going to live together. Number one way to get yourself in divorce court, live together before you're married. Number one. You see, when Jesus is talking about blessed are the meek, the first thing he brings up with is the marriage relationship. Because there is so much in here. There is so much in marriage that will teach you about life and about God. And and, uh, I wish we had time to put all this in the notes tonight and, and discuss this thoroughly, but if there is one reason people misunderstand who God is and what He is about is because human fathers do a very poor job of being a father. When, when we deal about understanding God and His love, the number one reason why people don't understand God and His love is because fathers do a very poor job or do not do the job that God has for them. You know why fathers do a very poor job most almost often? I'll just quote my pastor. Uh, he said, I'm the man of my house. And uh, he pounded the pulpit there at Cleveland Baptist Church. And I mean, he made that auditorium, if any of you have ever been there, Seats almost 2,000 people. It's a big, big place. You can take our whole building and set it down in the main floor of the auditorium there. And I mean, he just made that place ring. And then he said, because my wife lets me be. See, the number one reason fathers do a very poor job is because the wife won't let them do the job that God wants them to do. And we go right back to the issue that Jesus is bringing forth here in this passage. Blessed are the meek. Why is there blessing for the meek? And we're just dealing with the aspect of marriage here. It says, for they shall inherit the earth. That's, that's going to be the blessing upon the meek. You know, when Jesus sets up His kingdom on this earth, He's going to have His servants read uh, Revelation chapter 1, read Revelation chapter 5. 
one of the reasons those people there praise God and give glory to Him because Thou hast made us what? Priests and kings unto our God. Can I tell you that Jesus is going to govern this world at His discretion and that He is going to use those believers who have simply surrendered to Him and follow Him to do the direction on this earth. Lead. What we're going to do, I'm looking forward to that day. You know what? There's not going to be one Democrat or one Republican in Jesus' kingdom. And there's not going to be one filthy, rotten, lousy lawyer to tell you that yes is no and no is yes. Now, I know there's some good lawyers out there. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the liars and the cheats and the ambulance chasers. Uh, I'm talking about those people who only use words as a means of manipulation. We're going to get to words here uh, in next week because there's not time to go past anything here. Uh, I was hoping to cover everything on your outline tonight, but I only got point one. Um, but I, I would hope... And, and, and I pray that I haven't brought up too many bad memories if you've been in a failed marriage. But there's, there's a lot that Jesus wants to teach us about meekness and the example that he uses. The first example that he uses is two people in a marriage because it gives us a working illustration of what meekness is. It's not wife surrendering to husband or husband surrendering to wife. It is husband and wife both surrendering to God and choosing not the path of selfishness, but the path of selflessness. And that is reflected in every aspect of your life together. It is reflected in how we walk and talk and think. It is a surrender. And there are just so many shortcuts. Every once in a while, someone will come and they'll say, Well, Pastor River, we want to get married. You know, it's just better to marry than to burn. And I'm sitting there going, Whoa, wait a minute. That, that's, not, that's not biblical understanding. You, you need to get a relationship built that will support the marriage, not a marriage to try to get a relationship. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. You can have all kinds of hopes and expectations, and the reason they'll be unmet is because they're unfounded. Do you know how you deal with unfounded expectation? You spend a little bit of time getting to know the person before you get married to them. The way I like to put it is, you need to know what she feels about things before you know how she feels. Keep your hands to yourself. The Bible teaches us that. The world denies that. Why? Because the world is not after meekness. The world is after selfishness. But if you want to have the kind of 
satisfaction, the kind of blessedness, the kind of things that the Bible talks about from a biblical marriage, it's all around that word meekness. You want to learn about meekness, look at the way marriage ought to work and understand a little bit about our relationship toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not seeking my own. Every so often, someone will come and they'll say, well, listen, do you have this and do you have that and do you have this and do you have that? I say, well, wait, wait a minute here. Our church is not about, I'm sorry, our church is not about meeting your needs. Our church is about serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll surrender to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, He will use our church to meet your needs. See, that's meekness. And those of you that know that's true have found blessedness by being a member of our church. Now, haven't you? God's answered some prayers. He's put you here. He's, he's put us together as a church. He's allowed us to do some... Uh, but sometimes we have some people that aren't meek. We just got to let them go. That's never pleasant. But you see, there's a blessedness in meekness. There's a happiness. There's a satisfaction. There is a knowledge there that I am doing what God wants me to do. Now that's just point one. One illustration, one facet of what meekness is. We're going to deal with our words here next. And then we're going to deal with this idea of justice or the modern word that is absolutely meaningless that everybody loves to use. That's not fair. Well, we're going to deal with that. Uh, because that, that idea of fairness is not a biblical idea. That's a selfish idea. And Jesus is going to deal with it because the opposite of meekness is selfishness. Me first. It'll destroy marriage. It'll destroy your testimony and your character. It'll destroy your ability to communicate with other people. We have people proclaiming social justice. Anytime you hear that phrase, you need to run the opposite direction. Because that is just a shield. That is a cover for the deepest and most perverted avarice within the human soul. Social justice has no place. We'll talk about that in the, in the coming weeks as we go through. And this is just, these are different aspects of this idea of meekness. We'll, we'll deal with those verses where it says, if someone smites you on the right cheek, you're supposed to turn the left one also. What, what is Jesus? Meekness. This is, this is all about in fact, he'll spend more time on meekness than he does on almost any of the other Beatitudes. You know why? Because that's the one we all have the most trouble with. But if you'll remember, as we went through the Beatitudes, they build upon each other. So if you want to get past meekness to the other things, you've got to deal with it. And all God's people said,
Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We ask that you would use your word. And Lord, I know that many of the things we've addressed tonight might be unpleasant and, and even uh, troubling to hearts and souls. Lord, we're thankful that you are a God of forgiveness. But Lord, more importantly than worrying about things that are in the past, let us look forward to the things that are yet to happen tonight, tomorrow that we would understand, that we would grab a hold of at least the first facet of what meekness is. And, Lord, that you would use that in our hearts and lives. Lord, we miss out on so many blessings because we try to do something our way instead of yours. Work in our hearts, convict us. Lord, tune our ears to the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer,